Welcome to the CGOA podcast for October 2020, season two, number two. And with me, as always, Michelle Fershing. Hi, everybody. And this you- is the wonderful Mark Steigner, as always. As always. How's that? How are you doing? I'm good. Well, How are you? <laughs> So it's October. It's October. I'm a big spooky person. I love Halloween. That's my favorite um, holiday, generally. I don't think anybody's dressing up this year for anything. But You were in your house last year, right? Where are you living now? Yeah. Did you have a lot of trick-or-treaters? No, we had like two the whole night. And I think we went over to, we actually went over to a friend's house, you know, back when you could do that kind of thing um, and helped hand out candy over it. I heard people used to do that. I know, right? Well, Go some people. Do. I yeah. Are you somebody again. who usually likes to dress up? Oh yeah. What is what the best Halloween costume you ever had? It's been a long time. I don't know. I have to think about that. I don't know, but it was a it was a big deal. I had one when I was a kid. I think it was just a generic witch, but we had found like a fake crow. That you'll love this. A fake crow that my dad fashioned with um, coat hangers, so it would sit right on my shoulder. So I walked around with a, a a fake lifelike crow that people were freaked out by, and I appreciated the the scare tactics for that. Yeah, that sounds good. Sounds very effective. I know, and now I'm traumatized for life because I don't like birds. It all comes around. You got to put those things together. Never thought about that. (laughs) Thanks, Dad. Way to go. So we're not doing live performances, right? We're all missing that. Mm -hmm. You've been to a lot of live performances, right? I mean, not not classical music particularly, but rock concerts, Broadway shows. You mean back in the day? Yeah. Well, of course, back in the day. Now it's in the before times, right? What, What has been, what was the most memorable concert you ever went to or play like professional live thing hmm. there is a band called fun dot or f-u-n and mm-hmm. the, they used to be the format and they were my favorite band and um when they were first becoming a thing again after the first band broke up they did a small uh show in chicago um, and there was kind of an electric energy to everything where you could tell it was going to be something really big and really good. And they appreciated being there. And so it was really cool to get to be there before they got cool. And everybody knows the we are young and all that kind of I was stuff. I going to say, they won, that's their they hit. Won all of their all Grammys or whatever they won. But yeah. What about you? What's your most memorable? Okay. So this was <clears throat> uh, the week of 9-11. Mm. Which, which I think happened on a Monday. Okay. And James Taylor was playing the Rose Garden in Portland on the following Saturday. And of course, everything was shut down, right? You couldn't fly, you couldn't do anything. So we thought for sure the concert would get canceled, but it didn't. Mm. So he actually came to Portland the Saturday after 9-11. I think it was the first concert he'd done, obviously, since 9-11. Things were just starting, and it was pretty electric because I think the musicians had to get there by bus and driving because they couldn't fly there, you know, and he travels with people from, you know, back east and all over the United States. So that was that was pretty electric. It was an, kind of an amazing event to have thousands of people right after 9-11, you know, in a way that was felt really community-ish. It was, it was really effective. Mm. We could use that right about now, huh? Yeah, we really could, except we couldn't get 
thousands of people together. But we sure could use some unification, right? Everybody go vote. We're not making a political statement. No, we don't care just, who you vote for. Just well, vote. Just vote. I think yeah. we do, but just go vote. Um, yeah, these are, you know, you kind of alluded to it. These are serious times. This is not a fun time, right? There's all sorts of dark and bad stuff going on. And it's been that way for a few months. But you know what really helps when you get, I mean, music helps, right? Listening to music. And we're going to talk to somebody who makes beautiful music uh, this month. We'll talk about her in a minute. But jokes, right? Everybody loves a good joke. And now's the time. Except, You're exactly right. We need some, we need some jokes to we cheer. We need some jokes. And, and you know, if we can't laugh at ourselves, especially as musicians, you know, we need, we need to have that. It's good to laugh at yourself, right? So I researched and found some, some music jokes. And we'll just do a few of these just to make us laugh a little bit. And then we'll get on with the serious business of the rest of the podcast, right? Very serious. Okay, yeah. go, go for it. And Give for it. all of the listeners, I have not actually read these jokes he's prepared for me. So we're all seeing these for the first time together. All Sound right, them out. Here we go. Okay. Stop. All right, here's the first one. How many conductors does it take to screw in a light bulb? How many? No one knows. No one ever looks at him. See, this is actually true. It's funny. <laughs> Because it's true. Because it's true. All right, you do the next one. Okay. What do you call a beautiful woman on a trombonist arm? I don't know. A tattoo. Uh, is that implying that tat or trombonists can't pull? Or <clears throat> it's it's acknowledging the reality of that actually yeah. all right now this next category <clears throat> there are so many drummer jokes you could there are books written about drummer jokes so here's just one i thought this is a pretty good one okay yeah what did the drummer get on his iq test saliva and, yes saliva. <laughs> yeah yeah that's a good one i like that one there's as i said <clears throat> many, many drummer jokes. Okay. And by the way, most of these jokes, you can substitute any instrument for the featured instrument, right? So yes. they're not really that specific. All right. Don't explain the joke. It makes it I'm not quick. explaining it. You know. But what do you call a guitar player without a girlfriend? Homeless. Keep going. Keep going. What's the similarity between a drummer and a philosopher? Oh, this one's deep. Okay. What? They both perceive time as an abstract concept. But I'm... That might not be funny, but it's <laughs> thoughtful. Why are the violist's fingers like lightning? Why? Because they rarely strike the same spot twice. There aren't that many violin job. jokes. They're usually viola jokes. Viola gets a lot of garbage from people. I don't know. A lot of garbage. They, they, they really still do. do better than I can. Yeah. All right. Okay. What do you call a hundred conductors at the bottom of the ocean? Uh-huh. A good start. Ah. There's a lot of conductor <laughs> jokes, too. We get a lot of hate. You have it coming. All right. What do you... Well, this is for you. 
What do you call someone who hangs around with musicians? Hmm. A vocalist. Mm-hmm. There it is. Okay, you got mm-hmm. this next one. I'm assuming I'm supposed to act this out a little bit. I, I think you have to. <laughs> okay. All right. So this is called Soprano Solfege. Do, re, mi, 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 not you, me. Beautiful. Thank Perfect. you. Thank you. Thank you. You, thank nailed you. It. you nailed mm-hmm. it. But this is another singer joke. Okay. Yeah. How many sopranos does it take to screw in a light bulb? How many? None. They hold the bulb over their head and the world revolves around them. I think I've heard that one before. Yeah. It's in that one. Again, there's a, there's a grain of truth to every one of these. <laughs> We're going to talk to Tish Hinojosa. And she is this amazing singer-songwriter, folk singer who lives now in Austin. She's from the Southwest. She, um, she was a, the daughter of Mexican immigrants. Uh, she had 13 siblings. And she's been making music for probably 40 years. She sung uh, with Linda Ronstadt and Joan Baez. She's written music for all of those artists. Um, she's an activist. She's worked with a lot of political causes, working with immigrant rights and children's rights. I mean, she's just, she's pretty incredible. Um, and so we're going to talk to her. She has sung two of her songs um, in English and Spanish uh, with a virtual performance with the Sinfonietta, which should be coming out within the next couple of weeks. So after you hear this, very soon after, you'll get to hear that performance. And it's, I think it's, it's going to be moving and, and really different for us and and really special. So we're incredibly lucky that she was willing to work with us. And um, I hope you enjoy the interview. This is Tish. Welcome back to the CGOA podcast. With me is a singer-songwriter, folk singer, political activist, and new grandmother, I believe. Oh, yeah. Yes, Tish Hinojosa. Uh, Tish, uh, your music has been covered by just a legion of amazing artists, and you have performed with probably just about everybody in the music scene over the last few decades. So it's really an honor to talk to you, and thank you for being here, and welcome. Mark, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're going to be performing with you virtually with our orchestra, and we'll kind of get to that in a minute. Um, what's on your business card now? Do you identify more as a singer-songwriter, performer? What, what's, where's your focus lately? Well, my business card reads yeah. uh, singer-songwriter, recording artist. <laughs> That's yeah, kind of- so for the... For, for people, you know, I know that they probably know your music, whether they realize it or not. But for anybody who's unfamiliar with you and your career, I, I know it's hard, but can you give us like a bullet point bio real quick? My bullet point bio. Yeah. Um, my the highlights. Yeah, hometown San Antonio. Um, grew up, um, you know, loving pop music and the Mexican music. My parents were from Mexico. Um, so Spanish was spoken at home. And uh, the Mexican radio was always playing in the kitchen. 
And so that, that's my very first love for music came from the Mexican songs on the radio. Uh, and then, of course, I'm the youngest of 13 in my family. So um, having so many older siblings uh, listening to their transistor radios and the pop music of the 60s, uh, that again, you know, I mean, I guess I was a musician at heart because it just like music just fascinated me as a kid. And um, so anyway, I by the time I became a teenager, the, you know, I started playing guitar and singing and realized that I actually had a voice. And uh, so, you know, that kind of took me into, you know, kind of growing up. I, I just wanted to be a singer and I was hoping to get a record deal in my early 20s. Uh, spent time in Nashville, um, <clears throat> ultimately working at Mel Tillis's publishing company. I started learning how to pen songs by watching the songwriters there. And before I knew it, by my mid-20s, I was a singer-songwriter. Uh, then I got signed to record labels, you know, A&M Records, Warner Brothers, Rounder. Uh, so after that, it was just, you know, nonstop. And by, you know, my kids were in tow. I had my, my two toddlers at that time, um, back in the early mid-80s. So it was quite a run there through the 90s and the early 2000s. I was, you know, pretty, pretty busy with um, career. And then, you know, doing shows and, you know, like, you know, you mentioned getting to sing with some of my, my heroes, you know, I've had a chat, you have Michael, Michael Martin Murphy hired me as his backup singer back in the eighties. Uh, if you ever see, watch him on the, some of those eighties um, Nashville shows mm -hmm. on that girl back there. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, then later, of course, even getting to work with Linda Ronstadt and Joan Baez, who were two of my, my teenage heroes. So, um, you know, all, all around, it's just been, um, you know, I've, I've been, I felt very fortunate and uh, lucky to have, be surrounded by, by, and get to make friends with, you know, people like Booker T. Jones, who produced one of my records. Oh, yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, it's been, that's kind of that, that's kind of the bio scrunched up. Yeah. 17 records, two kids, two grandkids, or four yeah. grandkids now, four yeah. grandkids now. Yeah. So. so you're one of those people who knew what they wanted to do right away when you were when you were younger. There was there was never a choice for you. It was never, well, maybe I'll do the music thing. Or if I don't do that, I'll go, you know, be a teacher or I'll go be an accountant or something. I mean, was it always music was it? It's funny, like because when you're when you're a teenager, you set goals, but you really they're they're pretty improbable. Like at that point I said, if I don't make it by the time I'm twenty four, I just I'll get a job. <laughs> With a perspective of youth, 24 is ancient. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was saying that when I was like 17 or 18. No, if I don't make it, like if I don't make it by the time I'm 24, well, make it to me meant being like a superstar. You know, mm -hmm. if I don't become the next Ronstadt in the next five years, um, you know, I'll just quit. But then, of course, once you're in the music business, you know, one year rolls into another and one adventure rolls into another and you know, now you're just in the music business. And pretty soon you're on stage with Linda Ronstadt. And, so, and where so, did that come from, right? Linda Ronstadt. <laughs> has, there <ever> been <laughs> a time, yeah, has there ever been a time when you said, well, maybe this isn't working out or this isn't really what I wanted. I need to pursue something. Or once you're into it, it's just been gratifying and steady all along. I mean, any times when you just felt like I need to get away from this for a while? Not really. You know, music's, I mean, I did, I did, uh, in 2004, I moved to Germany. Uh, I was married to a German for nine years. And uh, at that, that was one point where I was kind of thinking I was maybe entering semi-retirement because 
I had toured a lot in Europe in the 90s and early 2000s. And then by the time I went to live there, the acoustic and singer-songwriter scene really had kind of died. It, you know, unless I wanted to, to, you know, be in like a blues cover band or something like that, which are very popular in, in Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I was thinking, wow, am I like, you know, I was kind of a housefrau there for a few years. And, uh, but still, I mean, I always found, I always made music connections. I went out and started listening to music, made friends with musicians, put a band together, even though we just worked and, and toured like in around the European thing, but still, you know, I, I never completely let it go. It was really important just to, to continue. I, I even put two or three out re- albums out while I lived there, but oh, right. my touring really kind of, you know, took a back seat. But um, by 2013, I was back in Austin again and uh, started rebuilding, you know, for the next couple of years and put out another record and, you know, now I'm back to where I used to be. Um, how has your um, musical taste or interest changed over the decades? I, you know, at the beginning it was <laughs> this, and, and what is it lately? What are you listening to or what's influencing your, your writing you're listening now? Anything yeah. new? Um, well, I'll, I'll tell you about what's new um, right now. I'll start with the present, and then I'll just go back to the past, how I got uh-huh. to where I am. Sure. But, um, presently, I'm, I'm uh, doing a lot of stuff with uh, two other singer-songwriter, Mexican-American girls from San Antonio. Uh, we've all had separate careers, but um, Patricia Vaughn and Stephanie Urbina-Jones, and we're all singer-songwriters. And a couple of years ago, we did a t- showcase together at the Bluebird Cafe, the famous Bluebird Cafe in, in Nashville. And it was, it was during Americana Week, and they wanted to put together a show to celebrate um, Mexican culture because it was the 16th of September, the famous holiday mm-hmm. in Mexico. But uh, the audience and we just loved it. We all had so much fun sharing each other's music and singing background for each other that we decided we'd put a group together. So... We have a group now called the Texicana Mamas, and we just finished, we put out a record August 21st, uh, and we're, you know, but of course we were going to tour, but <clears throat> as you know, everything grinded to a halt. So now we're just, we're, we're promoting it via social media, and we're doing lots of like Zoom interviews and, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff, promoting. But, Is that uh, part of your Facebook Live also on Fridays? You're no, doing, well, no, you're doing Facebook, something. Is that is that just yeah, you? Facebook Live on um, my my Facebook Live at five on Fridays is just mine. Mm-hmm. But uh, the girls and I put out we we do one together whenever we can get together because Stephanie lives in Nashville, Patricia and I both live in Austin. So whenever Stephanie can come to town, we'll do. Usually we gather around my kitchen counters, and uh, you know socially distant, but we'll put a camera at the back of the room. And, you know, just do, so in fact, we're going to do yeah, one. I'm very energized about it, right? Sounds yeah, exciting. So, yeah. But, kind of, but going back to my beginning, I mm-hmm. never thought that country music would be part of my life. Uh, like it kind of became, a lot of people consider me a country singer, mm-hmm. um, songwriter, but uh, I'm kind of all over the map. I do a lot of, a lot of bilingual, a lot of uh, kind of regional sounding, like, you know, music from my backyard, like with Laco Jimenez and, um, and then I also, you know, do a little pop music and singer-songwriter kind of stuff. So it's hard to, like, peg me in one place. But, you know, when I was, when I was a kid and a teenager, I mean, I just loved pop music. I mean, that was it. Mm-hmm. You know, 
I never thought that country would. And I never listened to country music as a kid. Well, so, you know, I, th I think that, um, it, of course, nowadays, I think categories are sort of meaningless anyway. I think it was, a, you know, a marketing thing, you know, back at the beginning of your career and through the 70s and 80s, right? P people needed those categories. You need to have oh, your yeah. records in a bin in a particular place, right? right? I think, you know, people like Linda Ronsett, though, really started breaking down those categories, you know, because one moment she was a pop artist and then she was doing, you know, Spanish language stuff and then she was doing operetta, you know, so yes, and, it, it was real permeable. And I think that was kind of showed people that maybe those categories weren't so important after all. Well, I think that's the kind of fun thing. I mean, I not, I mean, I'm not as big a star as Ronstadt, but I do feel that uh, with my, with how I've been influenced from people like her. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, when I love a singer, which I fell in love with Linda Ronstadt when I was like 10 years old, uh, 1967, <clears throat> mm -hmm. right around there. And uh, I've enjoyed the journey with her, watching her go from pop singer to, to Mexican singer to, like you said, and big, you know, the big band, the beautiful, you know, oh, right. mm -hmm. music and stuff like that. Yeah. So Nelson Riddle and, years. Yeah. The, the Nelson Riddle years. And mm -hmm. I, I like to do that with my audience. I mean, I, I don't want to bore my audience, you know, I, I like my audience to be as adventurous to not just, you know, and you've, and you've done music with orchestra, which is kind of what we're doing. Yeah. Too, right. That, those yeah, that, that was a wonderful thing that happened back in Austin. Actually, when I was on Warner Brothers back in 94 mm -hmm. and my record, Destiny's Gate, I was working with Jim Ed Norman, the president of, of, uh, of Warner Brothers in Nashville. And was, he was my producer as well. And um, we decided that the, the nature of this record was kind of pop country, you know, a little Spanish, a little Latino music in there too. So we got a chance to uh, get charts written and work with the Austin Symphony. Mm -hmm. they to, we, so we did. So I got like, we got like, I don't know, 15 of my songs uh, charted for symphony orchestra. So my very first was doing three nights with the, well, actually, no, it was the San Antonio Symphony and then Austin Pops Nights, mm -hmm. like three nights in a row. And it was just, that was so fun. And then from there, we, I kind of did it around the country a little bit, like Louisville, Vermont, you know, scattered cities, El Paso. And, you know, so mm -hmm. anyway, it is so fun to sit to, to sing with an orchestra. Mm -hmm. It's a really different experience for sure. But yeah, everyone that I've worked with, you know, the singer songwriter kind of people that have, you know, done stuff with us have really, they really enjoyed it, you know, just as a you know, different take on their music. Well, it's a learning experience too, mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. you know, to how I listen and, you know, knowing when to come in and, you know, <laughs> remembering how the, how the arrangements are. It's a uh, totally so. different kind of energy, right? Than when oh, you're yeah. playing with a band or, or something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. Well, okay. Tell us about your hit in Korea. My hit in Korea, my hit song in Korea. Yeah. I, in 1989, when my record Homeland came out, um, mm -hmm. one of the side there, I had three songs that I called the Border Trilogy. And one was a song about crossing the border, um, a kind of a kind of a lonesome song. Of you know, people liked it a lot. Uh, it's in Spanish, and it's a lament of someone who is crossing and about the the you know danger and and the fear and but leaving the loved one that you just miss so much. And then you start working and you're still wishing that you could be together. And you're, you know, the hope for the future is that you'll be able to be together 
in a better place. Mm-hmm. And that, so that song, for some reason, uh, my record was released internationally. And uh, the Asian market uh, found that song really interesting and decided that they wanted to really promote that record and promote that song in particular. It's called Don Devoy, Where I Go. One of the songs we're doing with you, by the way. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was amazing how quickly, like, uh, yeah, within six months or so, the record had gone like quadruple platinum. Superstardom. Tisha and Hosa, K-pop artist, right? That's when you're doing that's, K-pop. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the funny thing is that song, that was like 1989-90 when that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, Linda Ronstadt recorded that same song on her record, Winter Lights. Uh, in 94. Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, I, I was invited back again two years ago uh, to do like a national tour in Korea. And it's like, it's one of those songs that it was used as a, it was so, it's so iconic because it's passed through generations. There was like a whole new audience, like of 20 year olds at my, at these concerts, like mega stage con- you know, st- concert. And they were all singing along with the song. And uh, I was going, wow. So that's, that's neat. Congratulations. It's wonderful that. to have that. That's very yeah. cool. How has, how's life changed for you in the pandemic musically? I mean, <clears throat> I talked to lots of people about this and yeah, boy, you know, it's, it's messed with everybody. So how's it, how's it affected you? Well, well, like I said, touring, Mm-hmm. record release you know <laughs> we had to rethink everything you know everything has had to be rethought mm-hmm. um and uh you know uh we're you know i mean i think the thing is that you know all we can do is be positive about the future and say okay well so this year's not hasn't been that great <laughs> but but you know slight by, understatement <laughs> yeah, by, by like springtime summer 2021 mm-hmm. we'll we'll start having things under control and it'll mm-hmm. you know we'll get re- realize some new form of normal or something but right. um, but it's it, to me it's also kind of a reflective time i am spending a lot more time at home um and uh you know a lot more time with my family well i know actually i can't see my san antonio family very much we zoom mm-hmm. a lot but um but, you know, spending time with my daughter and my new grandbaby, you know, that's, that's a wonderful thing to, to, you know, that I get to be here. If I was on the road a lot, you know, I, I'd see a little less of them. So uh, creatively, so, yeah. creatively, are you um, inspired to use the time? I mean, are you creating more or oh, writing yeah. more than you maybe I'm, would have done before? Because maybe you have more time or. Yes, I think, well, you know what? One of the things, me doing my Friday Facebook shows, is that's become kind of a lifeline for me because mm-hmm. it, it, it makes me practice, you know, and it, and it makes me like, you know, I start getting ready a few hours earlier, you know, what am I going to say, you know, kind of producing the, you know, you know, I haven't, I haven't sung that song in a long time. Let me work that one up. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I think, you know, what I've heard from audience people that, that tune into the show um, you know, they're saying, don't stop doing it because it's like everybody looks forward to their little happy hour Friday afternoon things. Right, right, right. Yeah, you I know. think there's been some silver linings to this for sure. Yeah. Um, I know that your, you know, activism and political activism uh, is really an important part of your life or 
I don't know if you have time to do it now or opportunity with the pandemic, but maybe talk a little bit about that. What's been your involvement as an activist? Uh, all of this kind of, it, it began happening when, <clears throat> when people became aware of who I was, when I got on a major label, you know, cause I'd been playing music for 10 years or 15 years before I got my first big record deal. Um, so everything changed in 1989 when A&M Records put out Homeland. And so that put me touring nationally and internationally. And uh, so nationally wise, I, you know, a lot of my audience was, you know, people that connected with my songs because um, Homeland had three or four songs on it that really were of social significance. Uh, Love is on our side, the border to trilogy. Um, and, uh, and then the song code, some, There's Something in the Rain, which was about a farm working family mm -hmm. uh, that came out a couple of years later. And by then I was very, in, I'd gotten very involved with uh, people that had started approaching me like, you know, can you, you know, help us do a fundraiser for, you know, this cause or that cause. And, you know, before I knew it, I was like at marches and, you know, uh, you know, singing at, on the Capitol steps and, and uh, you know, uh, being being involved in political activism and i just you know it, it was something that really made me feel good i mean because i've since i was young very young in high school i i was always um aware of what was going on in the country you know the the cesar chavez the united farm workers um and so when i got a chance as an adult to get to you know actually march with cesar and he used my song, Something in the Rain, at, at some of his rallies, uh, you know, farm worker rallies. And so, and, you know, it just, it, it was something that, that kind of transitioned naturally. Um, women's rights, you know, children's rights. Uh, I was a spokesperson for the National uh, Bilingual Association, uh, Bilingual Children's Education, whatever, mm -hmm. one of those words. But um, so I, I just felt very, it, feels very useful. You know, I, I like being useful. <laughs> so uh, if I can, if my songs or my name or me as an artist can, you know, I don't want to, I try to not get, you know, terribly heavy handed on, you know, the things I believe in. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I believe a lot more in the softer touch of, 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 that's what I like about writing songs and because it's more like storytelling mm -hmm. uh, where people can relate to a family that maybe they never they never knew what the life of a farm working family was like until they heard the song something in the rain sure little boy it's about something that happens to his little sister and it's about the life of the of the the you know the life of the farm workers and how t how difficult it is anyway. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, the other song is Who Showed You the Way to My Heart. Let's talk about that one. Give us some background on that song. A little background on that. My son was born in Nashville in 1984. <clears throat> mm -hmm. And uh, and this song, it was a little song dedicated to him. I wanted to write something bilingual. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was a song that came to me and, and, you know, sitting there with this little bundle of love. <laughs> it was so cool. It's beautiful. It's not um, quite a lullaby, but it has kind of a... Yeah, that and, kind of a feel to it. It's also not necessarily, yeah, it's not really a lullaby. It's not necessarily just for a bait. It's not a child song. Right. It really is just about, it's about discovering love. Like, mm -hmm. you know, some great, you know, when, when it hits you, it hits you. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's the, I think that the sentiment of that song is, is that. And um, my son has the lyrics, the Spanish lyrics tattooed on his right arm. Oh, 
Beautiful. <laughs> How can a mom say no? Yeah, right. I, I really appreciate you being here. And maybe tell everybody where they can find you um, on the internet for oh, now, yeah. since yeah. we won't see you in person for a while. I know. Uh, but I, look, I so look forward to this. Anyway, my website is called Mundo Tish, M-U-N-D-O-T-I-S-H. Uh, even if you can't remember Mundo, just put tish.com <laughs> and that you'll get there. T-I-S-H. Mm -hmm. Not German, T-I-S-C-H. <laughs> so, yeah, it's really funny when I lived in Germany, it was, uh, you know, tish in German means table. Right. T-I-S-C-H. <laughs> so every time I'd hear like something about a table, I thought people were talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, website any, and Facebook, right? Facebook, yeah. My name, <clears throat> Tish Hinojosa. Uh -huh. uh, my band page and uh, and yeah. then the band, the new band, and and my new band, the Texicana Mamas. Check us out too. But uh, yeah, I look forward to this. Thanks so much, Mark. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, we are honored. Us. We're really excited. So thanks for helping us promote our our Austin music too. Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's been it's been great. Uh, you know, we we love collaborating with with people like that and. Uh, you know, after the uh, before times are over or the end times are over or wherever we are, hope we can, we can start in that again. So we're really looking forward to life returning back to normal so we can make music together again. So thank you. We're doing what we can. Yeah. Well, stay safe. Thank you. Okay, you too, Mark. Thank you okay. so much. Well, welcome back, and I hope you enjoyed that interview with Tish Hinojosa. If you did, maybe head over to patreon.com slash CGOA and become a patron. We, we have a growing, well, I wouldn't say it's an army of patrons, but it's a, it's a pretty good rabble of, of people who are uh, supporting us, and they get the video version of this podcast. I don't know if they would want to see me on it, but they certainly would like to see you. So this month, we're going to talk to Catherine McElwee, mm -hmm. our um, executive assistant at CGOA, and tell us, what, what are you going to talk to her about? She's a woman of many hats for our organization. We talked about that a little bit. Um, she works her butt off to help get us grants to kind of help the lights stay on, I guess. <clears throat> so to speak. Um, so she's talking about some exciting news that we have for our organization, um, talking about a lot of good support that we've gotten for since the corona times have started. All right, everybody. Well, next up, we have on our show the lovely Catherine McElwee to talk to everybody. Hi, Catherine. How are you doing? Hello, Michelle. I'm doing very well, thanks. Good. Uh, can you introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners? Say, um, who you are, how did you end up in CGOA, and what do you do for us? That's a, a lot of things to cover. <laughs> that is a lot to cover. Golly, it takes me back. I was uh, reflecting a little bit on that today, and I realized uh, my experience of having attended a Vochi concert with my mother, and she oh. said, honey, I think you should get back into singing. And so it was about uh, 2013, I believe, uh, that I started with Vochi Choir. And then soon thereafter, uh, the Gorge Orchestra was looking for board members. And uh, Edie Paulson at the time, she and I joined the board uh, at about 
yeah, 2013. And I worked on the, gosh, uh, fundraising committee at the time and served as the secretary. I, uh, going back to when Jim McMillan was our president and uh, Richard Parker was our treasurer. And I think the board was all of about six members and a very, very hardworking board at that time. Uh, so I served- like now. Unlike now, oh, it's still going, right? There's still just slackers right continue. now. I know, I tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, you know, doubled in size as far as the board, uh, you know, uh, makeup. And I have really enjoyed serving as the secretary for uh, two, three years, and then uh, leading as chair for the fundraising committee, which is now the donor relations committee. And then on top of that, uh, I lead the the grants uh, committee and uh, am also CJA's first uh, office administrator. So I have a lot of hats, much like Mark and you and, and many of the board members. So, And you do a lot for us. You do so much and we really, really appreciate it. All of the the time you spend, especially on the grant writing, which I know pretty much nothing about. Can you uh, walk through how that works for our organization? Oh, sure. Well, it is a standing committee uh, on the board of directors, and we have a small but mighty force, uh, myself and uh, Hugh Amick and Jennifer Hardy, uh, Andrew Kirschbaum, and uh, we sit every Thursday, at least we used to be pre-COVID, we would hit uh, Pine Street Bakery at noontime and we would sit and just go through our calendar, you know, of grants. Uh, we, we maintain a, a, a schedule, so to speak, and identifying all of those uh, opportunities, uh, foundations that are supporting the arts. And so we really uh, identify what CGA needs, uh, what's coming up, how might we be able to uh, look to foundations to help support our uh, organization. And so it is very uh, strategic. We try to be really uh, thoughtful and mindful about what we do pursue in terms of foundations. And we've been very, very fortunate uh, from many, many foundations that are supporting us. Uh, do you want to take an opportunity to plug the new news? Sure. Our oh, gosh. Our latest and greatest was from the Oregon Cultural Trust. And uh, the trust uh, funded a very sizable amount of uh, monies to uh, all of the state of Oregon and Hood River exclusively. Uh, and Columbia Gorge Orchestra was uh, fortunate to receive $26,000, a little over $26,000. So that will help to support our, our awesome artistic director, Mark Steigner, and uh, the office administrative position and all of our musicians and all of the, really the lost revenues that we, uh, you know, incurred uh, from this uh, COVID pandemic. So uh, really, really excited uh, to have that support. And so it will, it will go towards operating expenses uh, to help us get through this, this hump that we're in right now. And, uh, and it started, you know, Beginning uh, in March, uh, just actually after the uh, pandemic hit, um, one of our very uh, supportive foundations is Manitou, and uh, we have been very fortunate to have been funded uh, with them for two years now. Uh, so they uh, called us up and said, how are you doing? And our gala that was scheduled for last uh, spring wasn't going to happen, and so they really felt that they wanted to help support us uh, in getting through, you know, this next year. Uh, so we've been just very fortunate to have people believe in our mission and our vision. 
So uh, what it actually, we were very fortunate too. Uh, we applied to Kinsman Foundation for West Side Story, of which they did award us 5,000 for that production. And after uh, we had to close doors and you know shut down the production, uh, they reached out to say, we are happy to you know, transfer that monies to uh, just general operating support. So uh, yeah, and the other um, really wonderful story too is uh, through the the Dallas Chamber, we uh, operate out of Wasco County too. Our youth choir uh, participates and uh, is in that uh, region. And uh, the chamber had actually put out a COVID relief application of which we did apply. And uh, everyone that applied uh, did receive funding. And Google uh, in our backyard stepped up to help uh, provide us with $1,000 um, toward our operating expenses due to COVID. Well, congratulations. I mean, it's a lot of your hard work and uh, your yeah, committee and everything for sure. How many man hours does it take, Catherine, for like one application? Well, it depends on the application. In fact, we just submitted to Collins Foundation. Uh, as you may know, the, uh, the committee, the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee uh, has uh, been looking into a, uh, a workshop and training to help us understand better, you know, our uh, intrinsic biases and how we might be able to engage, uh, you know, populations that are perhaps underserved. And that was a pretty extensive uh, application. It, it, it takes several, several hours and, you know, the write and rewrite, but also the review, you know, we're very fortunate to have um, some great writers and, and also the expertise of Sarah Berman, who is our grants consultant. She's out of Portland and she really helps to, uh, oh, I guess, guide and direct the strategies behind, uh, you know, the applications and also being able to really uh, understand the stories, you know, why it is that we are doing um, to be able to tell that story. Well, thank you for all you do for us, because I know it's a ton of work and takes a lot of time, several months for all of this. And um, thank you to all of our supporters, too, for the CGOA. We wouldn't be able to do this and do this podcast without you. Well, you know, I'm just always so grateful for all of what Mark does. You know, that is the, the vision and the mission behind the organization. And it's a, a labor of love, for sure. And it's, uh, I just am very honored to, to be in the role that I am and just to watch it blossom. Well, thank you very much, Catherine. Good You're job. You're very welcome. All right. All right. Thank you, Catherine. Yeah, Bye-bye. you did. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye-bye. Exclusive content as well. So uh, what else? where else can they find us, Michelle? Look for the Columbia Gorge Orchestra Association on Facebook, um, where we've got YouTubes. Um, we have our own channel, but a lot of the videos are on Mark's Steiger's personal channel, just in case you get lost trying to find them. Um, we have an Instagram. I believe we're just seed Gorge Orchestra. Excuse me. Gorge Orchestra on Instagram. I think you have a Twitter. I don't tweet, so I don't. See, you has a Twitter. I have one too, but I don't. I never tweet either. But uh, yeah. So Gorge Orchestra on Twitter as well. Yeah. All those places. You don't tweet? Rarely. Or are you just writing scathing comments on there? Yeah, yeah. I don't really tweet. I'd probably, if you look at my Twitter, I probably have 20 tweets over however many years. I just, I never thought I had anything to say. Of course, neither does anyone else on Twitter, really. But it never, it never stops anyone, right? Exactly. I, I never felt like I had things with it. So I never, I never bothered it. But I do read it. 
Um, and then everybody, if you <clears throat> happen to our website at gorgeorchestra.org, right? And check out, we've got links on there um, to all of our social media platforms. There's opportunities if you are inspired by this uh, very intriguing podcast this month um, and you <laughs> to donate um, some money to the organization and help us keep going, uh, there's opportunities for that as well. I do. And how to get involved. We never talk about that. I'm going to cut you off. We never talk about people can still get involved in some of these projects that we're doing. Um, just reach out to the email that's on that site. Um, we'd love to have you participate in some of our stuff. We'll be back next month in the month of November. Well, thanks, Michelle. And uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Have a great month. Support CGOA. Listen to some music. And we'll see you next month. Bye-bye. see if we have any patreon supporters after this one <laughs> i'm sorry everyone <laughs>